today on the Tearsheet Podcast. You know, we arrived at Pathword, which when you simply think about Path Forward, which is what we're trying to do for um, these lower real economy consumers, is to give them a path forward in their lives. And of course, we're talking about the financial lives for them. Uh, a way to be able to have access to financial networks, not have high friction cost uh, products. Uh, and and it's, a, it's a way to do that. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Tearsheet Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. My guest today is Brett Farr, CEO of Pathword Financial. You may not have heard of Pathword. It's more likely you've heard of Metabank, which recently rebranded to Pathword. I spoke with Brett about the community bank and payments legacy the firm has and how it impacted the decision to rebrand in 2022. I always find it interesting and insightful to hear about these stories, about how an established financial institution decides on and aligns around a rebranding. It's a big deal to change your name. Brett gives us insight into how the firm is positioning itself for future growth. Brett Farr is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Hi, Zach. Uh, Brett Farr, Chief Executive Officer of Pathword Financial, uh, 40-year banker, uh, spent most of my career in a large bank, uh, came to uh, Pathword, what was then at the time Metabank, about four years ago, and uh, been the CEO for just a little over a year, and uh, very excited um, to be here. We're, we're a non-traditional bank. Um, the, the history of our company uh, had its roots in uh, community banking uh, in the Midwest, and uh, there was a very early fledging industry of prepaid cards that was attached to that small community bank, and before long, that part of the bank became much bigger than the community bank, and it's been, uh, been a rapid growing industry. And it uh, has, uh, has done very well, and uh, so, so much so that a couple of years ago, we actually sold our community bank. So we are entirely a bank that is virtual, and we do not have branches and a lot of those kinds of things. So, uh, but uh, it's, it's been quite a change for us. Um, we talk about our purpose, and our purpose is financial inclusion for all. And uh, we really mean all the words that are in that. So um, first of all, we're about the financial network and for people to have uh, access to the American dream, they have to have seamless access to the financial network. Uh, that comes with uh, both uh, some duties and responsibilities that are in that. And that's the role the bank plays, uh, but very much believe in uh, financial network access inclusion. Um, and, and, and this is a, a big topic because um, Ever since Dodd-Frank, uh, people have been excluded from financial services. And so, uh, you know, depending on who you talk to, some numbers of people in the millions uh, either do not, cannot, or will not open a checking account. Um, and that immediately puts them to um, more friction-created providers uh, and so they don't have seamless access uh, to financial networks. So, so we, we mean that we want financial inclusion. And then we mean for all. Um, and and this, is, this is an important point as well. Uh, and it comes into two flavors. Uh, you know, one is, um, I don't think the financial network should be used to pick winners and losers. Um, obviously, things have to be legal. But uh, beyond that, um, 
making choices of various types, whether they're political, moral, or otherwise, is not the role of a financial network. And so uh, we actually mean all, and uh, we have customers that uh, do things that I don't agree with personally, but it doesn't matter. It's uh, financial inclusion for all, and that's the perspective that we have. The other piece of it is uh, different segments and sub-segments of the economy want to be served in different and unique ways. And so broad-based mass products do not meet the need for them. And so that's one of the reasons they're excluded. Uh, you know, I, I appreciate the efforts by some very large financial institutions to provide a vanilla product. Uh, but that vanilla product does not meet the needs of a ethnic segment slash subsegment that want to be served in a particular unique way. And so part of our inclusion for all is to not only serve everybody, but serve them in the way that uh, they want to be served. So, so that's a big part of a purpose and uh, who we are. So that purpose and that, and that mission, Brett, um, given your experience in the financial industry, is, is that somewhat uncommon to work in an institution that has that level of, of, of drive? I think that uh, everybody wants to do well, uh, but there is certainly um, a profit motive and a scale motive um, that has to be analyzed at different size uh, organizations. Um, and, and I think it comes in, in two forms. Um, one is uh, you have to have scale to be able to run a profitable operation. And for the very large players in financial services, the segments and subsegments that we're serving can't get scale. And so it would not make sense for them to enter into those markets. Uh, and you have to attack that with a unique business model. Uh, the other component of it is a bit of a risk appetite conversation uh, because um, you know, the degree of front page uh, risk that you have varies based on the size of your organization. Um, there are certain kinds of customers that, frankly, are harder to serve. And so under the guise of I want to reduce my risk, um, I do things that cut them out and do not let them come in uh, to the financial services. And so that's uh, an important um, component of it. Uh, and then there is, of course, the profit motive. Um, you know, most of the end consumers that use our products are the low to moderate income. They do not have big balances. Uh, and in some organizations, if you don't have you know, $5,000 in a checking account, you're really not a valuable consumer mm -hmm. to them, simply because of their size, scope, and scale and what they offer. I mean, they do offer uh, you know, wonderful technology and some of those kinds of things. So they can't make money when there's $400 in the checking account. And we have a business model that allows that to happen. So I think that's uh, the key components that uh, you know, allow us to kind of serve that market. And so four years ago, Brett, when you entered this organization, it was called MetaBank. Now it's called Pathword. Yeah. Um, take us through the decision-making for the rebranding. Well, we were already contemplating some rebranding. As I mentioned, we'd sold our community bank. Uh, we're very much a non-traditional bank. We wanted to do some things to change and shift it so that, you know, it was recognized at least by um, the third party companies that, uh, you know, we basically a B2B2C model would recognize um, and, and understand that we're not a direct competitor to banks. Um, we're, we're a different kind of player. In fact, many of our uh, products are 
uh, push through other banks. So, so that's uh, one reason we wanted to kind of change it, um, have a little bit more of a forward-looking view, and to acknowledge our purpose, financial inclusion for all. And while we were contemplating that and understanding that, obviously there was an event that happened, which was, um, you know, Facebook and the metaverse and some of those things. And so uh, that that's how this sort of transpired, and we went through it, and it. Uh, ended up being a win-win for us because uh, we were able to sell our name and we were also able to make some of the changes that we wanted to make um, internally and externally to fit the, the, the look. And so so we, we uh, in the process of, of picking a name is a very interesting process. Um, it seems like uh, all actual words are already taken. Uh, and so you have to make up words and you go through a robust process. And frankly, we had some ex- external help that was fantastic. Um, went through that and, uh, you know, considered lots of possibilities, both from a creative standpoint, a messaging standpoint, a legal standpoint. And, uh, you know, we arrived at Pathword, which when you simply think about Path Forward, which is what we're trying to do for um, these lower real economy consumers, is to give them a path forward in their lives. And, of course, we're talking about the financial lives for them. Uh, a way to be able to have access to the financial networks, not have high friction costs uh, products. Uh, and and it's, a, it's a way to do that. And so uh, it fit. We're very happy about it. You know, it works on our consumer side. We also have a commercial finance side that tends to work with companies that have less access to credit for a variety of reasons. Uh, and so it fits in that uh, space too. It gives them a path forward to greater financial stability and and what often happens in that particular part of our business is we bank a company for three or four years and then they rehabilitate and then they go on to somebody else. And uh, that's good. That's giving them a path forward and their employees a path forward with a place to work. And the word bank is ostensibly missing from, from the name. I assume that was by design. And that was by design. I mean, I think that was one of the very early decisions uh, because the, the people have a particular connotation of a bank. And, and yes, we are a bank. And that's why you see the NA, National Association, FDIC insured, and all those kinds of things. And they're very much required. Uh, but from a, a marketing standpoint, I think it gives us a little bit of a leg up because uh, we try to be a little bit more forward thinking and more... Uh, risk appetite friendly uh, with proper controls than you know, your traditional bank. And uh, that's a, that's a, one of the reasons we did that. And I guess, um, can can we double click a little bit on the process internally? Like who owned that? Um, how broad was this project? How, you know, um, how hard was it to sell a new, a new brand internally, externally? I'd love to hear about some of those things. Uh, I, I entered this with a great deal of trepidation. Um, I can imagine. And part of it's because, of, you know, prior organization, I'd been through, you know, 17 mergers, name changes, uh, been through a couple of large name changes, some of which went well, one of which particularly blew up and did not go well. Uh, and, and I know that, you know, the, the name that everybody likes is the name they got. And so if you change anything, it's immediately a problem, right? So, totally. so I went into it with a lot of trepidation. Uh, we had a couple of uh, external firms that worked with us that had done this many, many times. Uh, and they had a great process. They came in, um, who are you? What are your values? What's your purpose? What are you trying to accomplish? What do you want to convey in your name? Uh, and, you know, went out and vetted 25,000 possible words, came in with a set that kind of fit. We, we looked at those, 
<clears throat> probably a hundred of them. And they said, okay, which ones do you like? Which ones do you not like? And most importantly, why do you like or not like them? And so we, we mm-hmm. did a lot of those things. Then they went back and did a whole nother set of names uh, based on that feedback. And then we came back and then we vetted it. And, and, you know, there's a extensive legal process you have to go through here because, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, words that are already taken. There are words that are close. What's your risk in that? And all those kinds of things. So we had to go through that process and, you know, check URLs and all those things. So that, that got us narrowed down to a handful and then we kind of picked from it. So it was great. The other, the other process was uh, logo selection and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, really pleased with the way, you know, the, the word shows up and the logo that we have. But I mean, it was scary. At one point I was making paper airplanes in the meeting to try to help people understand what kind of logo we should have. Cause we want to give the idea of forward and upward for people. Mm-hmm. And I think we did that with the logo. And in the end, they came through with a, you know, a great model for it. Was the team that worked on, on the rebranding, um, the new logo, were they impacted by this process? Um, so, I mean, the, the internal team was a, a collection of people of different disciplines across the company. Um, I, I think they worked really hard, and, but I, they had a lot of genuine excitement about it. And so I, I think, uh, you probably unlike me, because I'd been through a bunch of these, they came into it much more optimistic and hopeful. And, and in the end, I was thrilled. But uh, I don't know they had to go through the same journey I did. They, they had a lot of positive energy in it. Uh, going through it. The other other thing we did is we collected an additional sub team to kind of look at our values as a company and to be sure that our internally conveyed values are, uh, you know, who we are. And and that has been part of it as well, because it's one thing to come up with a brand. It's another thing to deliver on your brand promise. And I think, you know, the next several years, what we've got to do is demonstrate that we're delivering on our brand promise. You say you're forward thinking, that's your password. Uh, how does that show up? And how does that show up in different difficult business environments and those kinds of things? And so I, I don't think our work's done. In fact, in some ways, I would say our work is just beginning on delivering on our promise. And post um, rebrand, has, has it made an impact on the products and services that you've offered? Has it, has it taken that that level of depth? You know, I, I don't think so because we were already doing this. I think, okay. I think the brand matches what we were doing. And so it, it has not created, you know, a new product set or anything like that. I mean, we've been doing this for years. Um, I always tell people we were banking as a service before it was cool. I mean, that's, yeah, that, they didn't that's even use that term on. back then. Yeah. They didn't even know that yeah. term. So, so, um, so I don't know that it impacted us in that way. But everybody understands that payments is changing very, very fast. And so the payments elements of this, uh, you need to have sort of a cutting edge view. And I think part of our name and branding activity was to reinforce that perspective of a cutting edge view so that people would say, oh, okay, they're, they're not you know, stuck in the past. They're not a traditional bank. Um, they've got some creative ideas on how to participate in the evolving payments ecosystem. And what are you doing um, post-branding, I guess, to get the word out? Like, obviously, there was you were at Money 2020, which is where we met, and there was a party there, which felt like a relaunch party or a rebranding party. Yeah, um, yeah. What are some of the other activities that you're doing? Like, we, We've done some similar things in some commercial finance uh, venues. Uh, different asset classes have their own kind of annual meetings and those kinds of things. 
Uh, but one of the things we have to remember about um, our business model is it is B2B, it's not B2C. So we're, we're not spending a lot of time, you know, widely advertising and broadcasting it. We're making sure our core partners know it and in commercial finance, our customers recognize it. Uh, we did a significant upgrade to our website. So that helps too. So that when you go out there and look at it, okay, this is a, a, a current real company that, uh, you know, is in, engaging in things that are new and, and, and modern. Um, so we're not doing a whole lot of that. I, I think the best way that we, uh, you know, promote ourselves is again, back to my prior point, deliver on your brand promise to our companies that we work with. Mm -hmm. And um, so maybe we could talk about that. I'd love to hear what your clients and market, um, what, what they need right now. What are the challenges that they're facing? Um, what are they looking yeah. for from Pathworks? Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I think there's um, two categories that are out there. Uh, one is, you know, our longstanding partners that have been doing this for a very long time. And uh, typically they have a particular market segment or sub-segment that they want to address. Um, sometimes they associate themselves with yet another distribution channel like a, a retail franchise. Um, and they are uh, continuing to try to provide the product center product, which is basically a checking account, it's a debit account, um, to consumers to become the center of their core business uh, and how they transact. Um, they have a lot of data, they have a lot of technology, they have a lot of capital, they are profitable, um, and they have a lot of good ideas. And they're constantly going and constantly bringing us uh, you know, new ideas or new third or fourth parties to work with uh, and, and kind of going out and, and launching these things, um, you know, recent public things. Uh, we did a uh, Target card. We did a, a something with Dave Ramsey's organization. Uh, there are others that are like that that are out there uh, and will continue to be out there. So, so they're, they're very successful with that. The thing that has shifted somewhat with them is they're wanting to get broader than just a single product kind of thing. So, you know, there was a time it was just about the count and the balances and, you know, the interchange fee income and all that. Now they're wanting to get broader. So talking about different kinds of payments, opportunities, et cetera, in some cases, even some consumer lending offerings, mm -hmm. and they're engaging in that. And so they're expanding their share of wallet with these consumers that tend to be underserved, at least in ways that they want to be served. And so, um, they, they're doing well, and, and they're very much growing in that. Part of that shift is, uh, which is the other side of the equation, um, they saw the neobanks coming, and so the, the fintechs. And so that's the second group that we're seeing. Um, the fintechs um, hit the ground running and running hard. Um, they were much more challenging to work with, um, did not have the history and the background and, you know, uh, program standards and risk and compliance or all those kinds of things. And so it was a lot more handholding and doing that. And they are experiencing much more fraud and, and those kinds of things. Uh, and now they've hit a window where they're running out of capital. Right. So I was just going to say, it many of like them, that first generation model doesn't seem that's to be right. working. And, yeah. and uh, you know, profitability is still a key question for an awful lot of them. Now, I do think they have done a better job of the customer experience. And so they, 
they have um, you know slick skins, you know very good front ends, etc. Um, they have not invested as much in the appropriate back ends, um, and many of them sought out banks that were not as focused on risk of compliance as we are, uh, and so they've connected themselves. Um, most of these are very small, but connected themselves to to other banks that are engaged in it. So. So now what's happening is um, you've got some pretty tough pressures coming in across the industry, but particularly in that uh, fintech neobank space, which is both a cash burn issue. So they're running out of cash because they're not yet profitable. Um, But you also have the regulatory pressure that is hitting a number of banks that got into this uh, in more recent years. And what I always say about things like this, through the cycle matters. And that's an old banking term, but, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody comes up with a great idea and this is the next new thing. That's wonderful. And we need the innovation, but uh, the jury is out until you go through a full cycle. And it might be a a economic cycle, a political cycle, a regulatory cycle, a funding cycle, whatever it might be uh, to really see. And I think there'll be some great things that come out of the FinTech world. Um, but I think it's going to be a much smaller field than it started out being. Um, I think there'll be some more competitors in banking as a service, but it's going to be a much smaller field than it is now because many of them are going to weary of the investment that it's going to require. Interesting. Um, so you mentioned those sort of two buckets of, of your clients. Are you seeing a third bucket, which I wouldn't call necessarily a fintech, but maybe a vertical software company? Does looking to extend into financial services? Do you service those guys as well? Well, um, I, you know, I kind of lump all those into the okay. Bank. So, so you know, vertical integration is interesting, um, and and you're seeing this where some are trying to play both sides, right? They want to be a bank and a fintech. Um, you know, I, my view is is there's um, sort of three components that are part of the equation. Uh, you know, one component uh, is the technology. And uh, frankly, these guys are awesome at technology. So that, you know, they're you know, agile, quick, fast, smart, think about the customer experience. Um, they've got that and, and, and I get it. And uh, some of us that have got, you know, longer standing things, we're a little behind. So we've got some work to do to catch up to the technology. The second is human capital. Um, And human capital uh, is a critical component of this because there are elements of this, there always have been elements in banking that you can never solve with tech. Fully automate, yeah. Yeah, you've got to have cognitive people evaluating particularly things around risk compliance and judgments and those kinds of things. You know, a simple example is commercial underwriting. Nobody's figured out how to replace commercial underwriters with robots, and I don't think they're going to anytime soon. So, I mean, I think that the human capital component is key. But the one that I think everybody misses that's such a core part of this is culture. Because mm-hmm. even if you come and take somebody that is an expert, you know, take them from my company and you they hire them in, they bring them in. Uh, and, and there has been some of that that's going on in, in different places in the industry. Um, if it's not within an appropriate culture that I think is unique to a bank, um, you're going to have significant problems. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there are some of them have figured that out. Over the years, there are people who have given bank back bank charters mm-hmm. because of this issue. 
there's at least one I can think of, I won't call the name, but has a bank charter that wish they didn't. And so, I mean, I think they're the, the, the key there is, and so here's why I think the partnership model works so well, um, is the culture that it takes to run a bank and to do its job, which is to protect the financial network of the, of the United States in an appropriate way, versus the culture that it takes to be very innovatively deal with the customer experience and, and all those things. Uh, you want people who are really good at both. And when you put them together in the same company, it doesn't work. It needs to be, and, and you know, I can go back old school. It's all, always like, a, you know, investment bankers and commercial relationship managers never work well. Right. They've tried it and tried it and tried it. It's completely different cultures. And I think in this case, there's completely different cultures. So that's why I'm a fan of the partnership model. Now, some are trying it. They're trying to play both ends. Uh, and maybe one or two of them will figure it out. But they're really going to have a challenge with, with those three elements. And, and where do you think regulation is headed, given, given what seems to be the, the preference towards this bank fintech model, this partnership? Well, I, I mean, I think, you know, regulation is, and there's several different components of this going on right now. One is, uh, if they just enforce the rules that are already on the books, there's a number of banks that are either are or going to be in trouble. Uh, and so, so just basic third-party management is an example of that. Um, and there's, you know, at least one very public consent order. Um, there are certainly rumors about multiple other ones. Mm -hmm. uh, and so just, the, it takes a little while for the regulators to catch up, but when they catch up, they catch up with a vengeance. And I think some of that is going to happen. Um, you know, rulemaking and rule changing to address the FinTech market, I do think is important. And, and I think there will be even things that, that my company learns from in that. But we'll come from a position of strength, not from a position of behind. Uh, and the degree to which, um, you know, the regulators start figuring out how to oversee fintechs, uh, that would be a bit of a reach because they're not banks um, right. in, a, in the partnership model. But they can expect the banks to oversee them. And I think that's the, the key thing to go forward. Then you lay on top of that, the whole crypto thing is going on, which yeah, just, um, that was going to be my next question. Yeah, I mean, and and I mean, anybody who has any age in financial services saw this coming. Uh, there's there's not any uh, doubt about that. Um, and, and what needs to happen is there needs to be centralized regulatory uh, things put on top of that. And then it'll become not the rail, but it'll become an alternative rail for payments. And then, you know, let the best man win. Um Right now, it's in a situation where there wasn't the appropriate compliance and regulatory oversights going into it. And um, you know, everybody talks about it's cheaper. Well, I can do things a lot cheaper if I don't have any regulatory and compliance oversight. I can make it. I mean, all you're doing is moving bits and bytes. It's pretty staff. simple, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, so I, I think that's the challenge. But so, uh, you know, I'm very optimistic on blockchain technology. I think that's going to have a significant piece. But the whole uh, you know, cryptocurrency is not going to become real until they get the centralized uh, regulatory framework in place. Got it, Brett. We have time for one last question. I'm curious, you know, we're, we're, we're post Thanksgiving right now and thinking about 2023, you can almost smell it. Like what, what are the big priorities in your organization headed into the new year? You know, I, I think one thing that's going on is uh, the economy and the things that are happening there. And I have a commercial finance portfolio. And what we expect to happen there is that's going to actually grow a lot. 
because mm. during bad times, more and more small and medium-sized businesses have trouble getting credit. Mm-hmm. And we're really good at managing that. So, you know, a big focus is that with the interest rates going up and, you know, the, the benefit that we will get out of that and then making sure that we do that in such a way that it won't create credit concerns. So that's a sort of a traditional banking um, kind, kind of, of topic. Uh, I think the second thing is, is I'm waiting for the fintech shakeout and the banking as a service shakeout. So, you know, what's this going to mean? Um, wh- who's going to be left standing? How are they going to be successful? What's the competitive landscape going to look like? And then how do we need to adapt and adjust to that? Um, you know, meanwhile, we're doing things around technology, et cetera, to be a, you know, a, a low-cost provider, uh, and, and, and we'll need to do that. And frankly, this, uh, this interruption in the fintech funding model is giving us a moment to breathe and catch up on some of these things. So mm-hmm. uh, we will make sure we do that. And then finally, something I mentioned earlier, We've got to continue to deliver on that brand promise. So you say you help financial inclusion for all. Here's a here's a problem. How do you solve it? <clears throat> and we'll continue to look for ways to solve that uh, with our partners in creative and innovative ways. Brett, thanks for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. That's great. Appreciate the time. <laughs>